Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call to join Allworth's Money Matters. Call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Glad you are taking time out of your day to listen to our program, whatever you're up to right now. Yes. Myself and my co-host here, we're both financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. We spent our career helping people like yourself have some financial security in their life, make the most out of their finances. And we broadcast on the weekends to be your financial advisors on the air. And our hope is that people have some um, stability with their finances. Maybe the most, yes, with them, or a little bit of peace, or a lot of peace. Yeah, confidence, confidence in your money. Which is, by the way, we do a workshop called the Art of Retirement. Yeah, we did one um, Sacramento a couple weeks ago. Yes, and the the one of the four components of there's four components to happiness and retirement, according to research that. We've done in some of our researches. And Harvard has got the longitudinal study, and University of Michigan's got a big study on it. And then we did our own surveys of both our existing clients and people that are not our clients. And there are four things, right? There's people, purpose, health, and financial. And the financial isn't how much money you have as much as how comfortable are you with the money you have. Yeah, well, really about your confidence – which is the same thing. Yes. How comfortable, how, how confident that you have done. Or are you worrying all the time? Or the, the enough money and it is in the right places in order to live out your dying days. That's the four things. And the irony, Pat, um, is that, and you know them and I know them, we've worked with them, <laughs> the people that have plenty of assets but don't have any more financial security than they did when they were young and broke. Which is goes back. They do to, have it. They don't feel it. They don't feel it. Which is it, it goes back to. I is look those people that worry about money the most are the ones that have a tendency to actually save the most, live frugally, um, and those. There's the other side of the spectrum as well, right? Which is people that don't have a lot of money have a tendency to not. Um, live frugally. And when I say it's all relative to your income and you're like, well, what are you talking about? I have seen people that make $70,000 a year retire with millions of dollars in retirement because they were frugal and they made good investments. And I have seen people that make millions of dollars a year retire on nothing. I mean, really like a dramatic change in the standard of living. Pat, so we get these calls sometimes when you your people are approaching retirement age, and you're they tell you what they have savings and what their income is. I'm thinking, you didn't even have one year's savings. I mean, one year, but I'm, that's not. But that's not how a lot of people think. I mean, you know that as well as I do. So anyway, it's confidence with your income. But which leads me to this. I'm thinking, where are you going with this? Which leads me to this is this new word. I've never seen it before. It's called unretirement. And historically, we just called it reentering the workforce, but now there's a name for it called unretiring. Unretiring. And what I found interesting about this is Mark Miller, retirement expert and author of the Retirement Reboot, showed some numbers statistically about. What percentage of people actually go back to work versus those that stay out of the workforce? And what's interesting to me is even with household investable assets of greater than $750,000, 21% of those people actually decided to re-enter the workforce. Re-enter. 7% because they had felt they had to, and 14% felt that they wanted to. This is re-enter. So these people said, I'm retiring. And? I'm like, I'm not retiring. I'm not retiring. And what causes that? Lots of factors, right? 
7% people felt that they didn't have enough money to live comfortably, so they had to re-enter the workforce. But 14% actually wanted to re-enter the, because they, they're, they, they were missing something in I retirement. Mean, it's, it's funny. We've been doing this a long time. In the 90s, the stock market was on a tear back in the 90s, right? I mean, it just... Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, irrational exuberance is that what Alan Greenspan called it back in the day. I think it was 96 he said that. But the market kept going higher and higher. And the mindset at that time for the typical American was retire as early as possible. And there were, like, I think E-Trade... Uh, there might have been some other companies like that back then that had these ads about re- retiring as early as possible. And it was really about, unless you're an idiot, you're going to invest in the market. And if you invest in the market, you don't need to work anymore so you can retire early. That was almost, right? <laughs> oh, Scott, I remember people coming into our office and saying, I'm going to retire. And we're like, you don't have enough money to retire. And they said, well, look at my portfolio. I invest it's, in the market. Yeah, it, well. And it, it was up 15% last year. And you're like, so? It's not going to be up 15% every year. I remember one guy came in. Um, he was going to read. Uh, he, he was taking an early retirement offer from a company. And his friend said, you got to go talk to, we were then called Handsome McLean. Uh, I ended up meeting with this a long time ago. This is ni- year 2000, right at the beginning of 2000. He had his rate of return assumptions for his retirement. The top, the high end of assumption was 20% return on his money. The most conservative... 12%. Wow. So I spent some time with them. I said, well, let's look at history. Other <laughs> <laughs> right. kind of periods of time. What happens if this period happens or that period happens? Or I should say, when we go through a period like that? And um, after we're done with the conversation, he, he says to me, I'm really glad we, we talked because um, I really would have put myself in a bad situation going down this other path. And? Then two weeks later, he called me and he said he just, or I heard, maybe I heard, he re- decided to retire anyway and go with this Someone. guy who was selling him on 12 to 20% return. And this is 2000. What happened? <laughs> the market fell 45% over two and a half year period. It was a long bear market. Long. March of 2000 to November of 2002. It happened. Declines. Two and a half year bear market. So he would have been one of the 7% that had to return to work. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he returned to work. Right. But I actually think it's very, very, uh, I have. But my point, but my, wait, my okay. overall point, I got just sidetracked on this story, but it's, it's recency bias though, right? That's right. Whether things are going well or going poorly, people have a tendency that's going to believe it's going to continue forever. Um, but in the nineties, it was really about retiring as young as possible. And if you were 70 years old, still working, it was kind of like, what's wrong with you? That's not the way anymore. It's not the way anymore. And now it's, I mean, I talk to people like, why is that person retiring? Like, I thought he's got a good job and he, or she has a good job and likes her career. Why is she retiring? It's, 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 it's changed. Actually, I was out on a bike ride. Oh, a couple of weeks ago. And we have this beautiful bike trail in Sacramento. Just, it's 31 miles long. It, it, it runs around along a river. It's absolutely beautiful. But oftentimes when you're riding, and I grew up in Sacramento, I'm 60, so I run into people I know for years and years. I see someone riding the opposite direction, uh, and I give them, hey, how are you? And then they're like, hey, stop, stop. And so we start talking. And I said, how are you doing? He says, well, I retired. And um, I said, congratulations. And he's like, don't you have enough money to retire, Pat? You must have enough money to retire. <laughs> so he said to me, you must have enough money to retire. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not retiring. I'm not, I'm not retiring. He said, well, why wouldn't you retire? Don't you have enough? How many t- times can you ride your bike? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I actually, I have this thesis about retirement, which is, and the workforce is actually starting to. And if you do a good job saving, you can be positioned to have your own thesis and live out your own dream, whatever that is, whether that's retiring as young as you want or work until the day you drop dead. Or where you have the option to retire um, that's right. comfortably. But the thesis about retirement that I have is that I don't believe most people want 
to necessarily retire. They'd, they don't want to leave the workforce completely. My thesis is what they want is more control over their life and their calendars. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And sometimes even the people they work with. I have a friend that retired because his administrative assistant retired. Oh, he got relied on the person for so many years. Like, oh, my life's going to be terrible. <laughs> yeah, he didn't even wait. I can understand. That. He didn't even wait till the other side of it. He just said, when she retires, I'm retired. But this, I thought this was interesting. And the numbers on average of people that actually return to work because they want to work across all assets, whether you're no money or a lot of money, is 18% of the population has unretired. Which is a significant, that's almost one in five people that said, I retired. And then at some point in the year, two years, three years, realized that they, they, they were not finding this peace and satisfaction in this retirement. And I think, I mean, psychologically, I think it's important that you actually, regardless of what your friends think or your spouse thinks, is that you need to do what's right for you. And it's okay to re-enter the workforce. In fact, for many, it's healthy. I have clients in their 80s that do contract work. It's a little bit different than, I think, when you're swinging a hammer. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, obviously. Yes. And, yeah. But it's a different era. Things change. All right, we should go to some calls here. Let's, uh, if you want to join our program, we love taking calls. 833-99-WORTH is our number, 833-99-WORTH. Or you can send us an email at questions at moneymatters.com. We're in Ohio talking with Lisa. Lisa, you're worth all worth Money Matters. Hi, how are you? We are really good. Great. I'm so glad we could uh, work together to figure out some questions that my fiance and I have. Perfect. Oh, all right. And how long have you been engaged? Um, About a year now. And how old are you? I am 41. He is 39. And uh, any of you children from a previous relationship? Yes. We have, I have two children with my ex and he has um, three children with his. Okay. He's that, with that's just a good basis to start on. I know you haven't even asked a question yet and we have started asking questions, but we're trying to get the dynamic. So what is your question for us? So our question is, is I obviously was single for seven years. Um, my father always said, make sure you pay off all of your bills and have no debts so that you have no worries later on because you're not going to be able to get kicked out of your house if your payment is $700 and you can afford to make it working any job. So I have purchased a house in 2017 at $267,000, and um, the value today is roughly between four hundred and fifty to 500000 wow. and the houses sell in my neighborhood in a week. Um, okay. I have a loan on the home for $56,605. It's at a 2.79% rate. I also have a rental house that I purchased for $147,000. Um, the value is about two fifty, dollars and that loan amount is $119,722,000 your 4.4. 4.4? Yes. Okay. And um, does your ex have any claim to any of these assets? No, he okay. does not. Thank you. No. Um, so the question is, is, being always wanting to make sure that my financial finances are stable and um, my fiance owns a beautiful home as well. We live in his home during the school year for the children to attend schools. And then my home, we live in during the summer months because there's a lot of different things in the neighborhood going on as far as activities and the pools there and uh, such. So the question was: Is do we sell my home for around four between four fifty to five hundred thousand and net the cash and bank the cash in like a money market for we don't want anything at any risk. We want our money whenever we want to get it. We don't want to have any risk to it. We don't want care if the market drops. We want it to be stable. And then or, do what with it? What's the point? So it's stable. Uh, 
they then will what? earn interest on it. We have other investments, so it's. Yeah, maybe we buy like a big trunk chunk of property okay. with it or something like that. Yeah, you park um, it, park it for. You're not quite sure, but you've got some ideas. Yeah, and it's just it would just be like cash to do those things, or do we rent it out for roughly, let's just say, three thousand per month, and in approximately how many years? We would have five hundred thousand in rent. Obviously, you have repairs for the property. Fourteen years, you have five hundred. In about fourteen. Okay. What's the value? What's What's the value of your fiance's home? Um, probably around seven fifty. And what's he owe on it? Three sixty. What's the interest rate? Three percent. Three percent. Okay. And, and what do you have saved for retirement? Um, so in my retirement, I have um a regular IRA savings that I had um rolled money from a different account into. I have like eighty seven thousand at a four point two five percent money market rate. And then I also am a member of the state teachers retirement system. So I have two hundred and fifty five thousand at the that's like in there currently that has the withdrawal value. Got it. And if I go to thirty five years, then obviously you would get the payout, which is the pension. Yeah. And pension. how about your fiance? I'd say, I'd say I probably got about four hundred thousand in Ivers. Thousand. About 400000 yeah, in between his money market, yeah. cash, gold. Yeah. And then I also have another money market account with 120000 at a 5.3% rate. And, I mean, that's not including just, like, cash that I have in savings, which probably is about another 20000 So what is it you're trying to accomplish here? So it sounds like, well, I mean, you've got, you like, you've got, you've been living in two homes. Like, what is it, what are you trying to what is it you're trying to do here? I have one more Go question ahead. before we get to that. What is the your income and your fiance's income separately? Sure. My income is approximately ninety five thousand and his income is approximately hundred and twenty five thousand. And are the kids We're roughly the same age? Both. Yes, they're uh they're they're under the age of ten. Ten and five, between ten and five. Wow. I came from a blended family. There were seven of us uh, living in a house for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's definitely a fun time every yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, what are you trying to accomplish here? So I think what we're trying to do is, I mean, I, as a teacher, see what mon- what's, where money's, money is going. And I think we all have our different visions and views on, you know, how things are going. But inflation, unfortunately, which whether we want to say it's happening or not, food has doubled. A lot of things have doubled. And the value of what I can get for my dollar really has decreased. I mean, the amount, what I can purchase for a home, even like how my house, I paid two sixty seven. Now it's a $500,000 home. or the And the mortgage interest rate, it makes it makes a tremendous difference as well. Yeah, exactly. The so the question, yeah. So it's like, do we want to get rid of the house? And then you have, you know, and then you might be able to having, you might have to pay taxes if you don't repurchase another house. Well, I think the ultimate question is, is rent versus take the money out and reinvest in whether money markets, if it's a high interest rate now until the market, you know, bottoms well, out or we know what will happen here in the next year, or do we just play the safe, keep the house, put in the extra work, rent it out. And here's my concern. Well, but, but you're consuming two properties because you're living in one on the, you're, you're asking a question that, that that's not, uh, uh, so you're apples for apples. Yeah, you're, you're, you're basically saying we're, we're, we're going to give up the summer place. If I sold well, it, yeah, we give it up period. We could Either give it up as far as rent it or as far as sell it. Okay. And that's what you want to do. Okay. Sell it or rent. I, I wouldn't, yeah. I I'd rent it. I, I wouldn't get rid of this thing. Okay, that's that's kind of where we were. And here's so here's part of my like. Let's let's talk about the basis. How long is hold on? Okay, part of my here's my concern. Like, if you sold it, I'm not confident that you're gonna you would make a great investment decision with the proceeds. And don't I don't mean any disrespect whatsoever. But you've got a lot of money in money market accounts, cash. You talk about being want to be safe and wait till things you have a better idea of what the future is going to look like before you invest. Yeah. 
which means you're going to be on the sidelines as markets go higher. Because I've seen this movie before, right? Like, because right. it only, the best times to invest when there's the greatest amount of uncertainty, not when there's certainty. Yeah, and it looks like there's almost no stock exposure and the reason, in this at all. The reason real, the reason rental properties do well for a lot of Americans is they can understand them. Yes, they fluctuate in value, but it's not like you're pulling up the value. I guess you kind of can on Zillow, but it's almost irrelevant because you're like, who cares what it's worth today? I've got a rent tenant in there. It's paying a rent. I get the rent check every month. And people can, and I've got eight years to pay the mortgage off. Then there's no more mortgage. It's all going to cut. So people, it's, re, it's, it's, although it might be a little more labor intensive, it's, it's pretty easy for people to understand. And, they, and it doesn't appear to fluctuate in value right. as much as stocks because there's no one sending you a statement on a monthly basis saying your rental property is now worth $30,000 less than it was a year ago. Even if it did, you wouldn't, you, it wouldn't bother you so much because it's like, well, it's going to come back. Real estate always comes back. Right. It's just, mm-hmm. well, I say that about stocks. I know that. <laughs> As do I. <laughs> right? So here's here's the downside of, well, first of all, if you were sitting in an office. And if, 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 if there's inflation, you can't have inflation without prices going up. Which means that real estate values will go up as well with inflation. You could have shorter periods of time. So you could have a short period of time when you've got inflation and real estate properties decline but if we had mm-hmm. a long run or let's say even hyperinflation real assets are what you want so here's the downside and in- things that can increase the increase prices to the consumer here's the downside of keeping that um the the home that you're spending the summer in the downside of converting that to a rental is uh the taxation on the sale because this is a prime considered a primary residence mm-hmm. and if you sold it today you wouldn't pay any taxes on the gain. But if you convert it to a rental three out of uh, the last five years, then that uh, 400. So two years ago, we might've said, Hey, Lisa, maybe you should sell that and, and take advantage of the, the exemption for capital gain taxes and go buy a different rental. That's right. Or maybe two rentals. That's right. So, but how about this? Since we're not married yet, could she sell that house to me? So I, you know, we just, I buy it from her. Oh, and the my. Crash, her primary residence, <laughs> oh, I buy it. All right. Can we, I like rather that. than, I like wait, that. wait, wait. Okay, uh, uh, rather than just referring to you as the fiance, what, what's your name? Drew. Okay, thanks, Drew. <laughs> First, was Drew was hiding in the back, and then and he got Drew's closer, in there, and closer. And then Drew's like, he gets this burst of brilliance. Sorry. Good call, Lisa. <laughs> On the, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's arm's length transaction rules, right? But yeah. you're not married. Yeah. I don't know why you couldn't. I don't know if there needs to be a tax year. That is something to pursue. I I I I would run this up the flagpole and see if anyone saluted it. I like the idea, but I like it a lot. That's a, that's assuming you're both comfortable. Well, saying, but, the, but the problem is, is unless that uh, interest, well, it's only fifty six thousand dollars, and he's got the mortgage. Yeah, because there's barely a mortgage on it. Okay, but we still have to worry about a mortgage. Yeah, but then we have to worry about a prenup as well. That's right. Um, and separate property. And separate property. So you've got so many things going on here. Right. You, you really, you've got a ton of stuff going on. Right. And so if you're I, in good shape financially, all oh, all, right. I mean, yes. Stable most, job. most particularly after going through divorce, most families are not in this financial situation. You guys are both great financial shape coming together. You're going to be in great shape financially. So. But here's, so if I was just to tick through all the things that I would like, if we were sitting in an office with an advisor, I would just tick through all the things that need to be addressed in your situation. And the first would be uh, a prenup um, or separate property. You do it through an estate plan. Through an estate. Yes. Um, That would be number one. Number two would be, you know, make sure that you have adequate term life insurance on each other. Um, Three is, uh, and it's look back to the prenup. Like it's not necessary, and whether it's a prenup or you 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 accomplish the same objective using some, a living trust, the idea is not that you're both thinking, well, I might get divorced. I don't know if I'm going to put up with Drew for that many years. It's not that. It's that um, 
It's to the disposition of the assets. Or if something happens to one of you. Either in death or divorce. Making sure the kids don't get inadvertently disinherited. That is, yeah. that would be my biggest concern. I mean, yes. right there. It's not about you getting divorced, and that may be a concern, may not be a concern. But the bigger concern that we would have would be what happens to um, you know, the, the assets if something should happen to one of you and the kids. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we have discussed that. We will get a prenup, and you know, we'll list out what our previous well, assets were brought into the marriage. Yeah, and estate it's, plan. It's going to be in an estate plan is where you're probably going to address most of this. Um, with a good estate planning attorney, and it may require a prenup and an estate plan would be my guess. Um, okay. I kind of like where Drew's going with this. Um, the only thing you'd give up that mortgage, but it's it's so small, it's not. Yeah, but then, yeah, you'd put a note on it, and then she'd carry the paper. Well, you can deal with that, but there's, you're, you're, you're going to take money out of a money market that's earning five and a half. Right? That's right, in paying down that. But, but, it's, neg- but it's not that big of a deal compared the, to the capital gains that would be right. in the house. That's right. That's right. And by the way, uh, uh, Drew and Lisa, you don't have enough uh, equity exposure. You don't have enough stock exposure. Or you sell that one house and you buy two rentals with the proceeds. You could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're yeah, we did think about that as well. Um, we let, are very both handy and fix things and, you know. Let me ask you a question. If you were to go buy a rental property today, would you, if I, if you had $475,000 in cash and I said, you have to buy a rental property today, would you buy that one? Would you make that a rental? Is that a good rental? Does it have a swimming pool? How old's the house? Yes. It's a, built in 2014. Yeah, it's on a golf course. So it's got amenities. So that's the draw to it. Like, you know, you, people want to rent a house. It's a private street on a golf course with a swimming pool and a restaurant and a clubhouse. Okay. You know, free access. I like everything about it except the swimming pool. Swimming it, pools. Far away. Well, it doesn't have its personal swimming pool. Oh, oh perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. 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 Yeah. Perfect. It's, yeah, it's a um, community pool. So there, yes, I'd go that direction. I would go that direction. But you you need to you need to go through. I the, really like the concept of is there is there a way we can have Lisa sell the house to Drew? Lisa can take advantage of the capital gains exclusion because it was her primary residence. Yep. Right. Yeah. And then you yeah, I like it. And you're giving up two point seven nine percent, but it's only on a fifty six thousand oh, dollar mortgage. Yeah. I don't like the concept of saving it and putting the money oh, aside. Oh, that's no, that's not even. I'm not even. Gonna, we're not even going to address that. Unless you already have a purpose for it. Otherwise, no, I'm not going to address that. I'm going to address it. <laughs> I'm going to entertain your th- your thoughts. I'm not going to. Okay. I just think it's a bad idea. But listen, I can say that because we complimented the heck out of them about a brilliant idea. <laughs> we accomplished something here. Yeah. So do oh. We need to- like check to make sure that there's no legalities to that. Like, yes. Oh yeah. I talked to an accountant on it, a CPA. Um, Cause there's some arm's length transaction rules. Like Pat, myself, we've been longtime business partners. We, there's some transactions that we couldn't do. Cause it's, eh, it's kind of a sham transaction. You, Cause you, you already had an intent to sell it back to the other party or whatever. It's something along those lines. I would. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there could be something, I there could have been a court though. case that said, I doubt it, but there could be. Yes. Yeah, so I would definitely do the research. It's worth before. spending the money to, to figure that out. Now that, that, um, make sure that the trust and the prenup and, uh, put a little bit more equity. And by the way, Lisa, you're, it's a little number here, but that $8.87,000 you have in your money market and an IRA, you can get about three quarters to a point higher than you're receiving today. But if it's in an IRA, the, that is the wrong place to be. That is 100% at your age. It should be all equities. You should not care what the value is at age 41 or 42 or 43 or, or 44. 55. You should care what it's worth when you're 60, 65. Yeah. If, yes. yes that, so invest in something place. that's got the highest probability of keeping pace with inflation and the highest probability of being able to provide some retirement income. And money market's not going to be the, the place to do it, but... Anyway, I think we're we're, yeah. we're out of time. Anyway, on this. But I, we certainly, what's that, Drew? A better place, a better place for that. Maybe uh, you know, just an index mutual fund. That's what I did when I was forty, and I did when I was forty-five, and I did when I was fifty, and I'm fifty-seven, and my retirement is still hundred. My IRA, my four hundred one k and IRA is still hundred percent in equities. 
as is mine. So the reason why it's in there, it oh, wasn't, okay. it wasn't it was previously before the market dropped in the mutual fund, and I just did not feel comfortable keeping it because I just felt like things were going bad. So before okay. everything dropped, I pulled it. So okay, pulled yeah. So what would be helpful? What would be helpful is to is to get a little more education on the, how the markets worked historically, so you have so it doesn't you don't freak out next time it's going to fall because historically the markets fall about one out of every three years. And you're not going to be able to time it like I'm going to get in now and get out and going to get back in. Like, nobody can do that accurately. So your best bet is just to own a basket of a broad basket of, of stocks and highly diversified and let the markets go through its cycle and say, who cares? Because I don't care what it's worth this year because I'm not spending it this year. Yes. I don't care what my house is worth if I'm planning on living it the next 10 years. And, and by the way, so that rental property, uh, convert that to a rental. Um, I was just looking at my notes. Congratulations on the um, wedding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky you found each other. Yeah. Yeah. And um, thanks yeah. for calling. Thanks. Glad Appreciate you called. the call. I hope this was helpful to the both of you as you think through these things. Most couples at age 40 coming from second marriages, their finances are a disaster. Mm hmm. From an economic standpoint, divorces can be absolutely devastating. And Pat, we see this rise in kind of gray divorce early retirees, you've had clients, I've had clients, and you're looking at me like, you've been married 33 years and now you're getting divorced. Like, we had a great plan for you to retire when you're married, but now we got to pay for two households instead of one house. Ooh. And all those things. It's like... Yes. You just hope they get remarried. To them back married again? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> someone else. Yeah, but the challenge there, as you know, it's oftentimes that the person they're marrying doesn't have assets. Look, if you're listening to this program, odds are you've done a good job saving and you've got some assets saved. You're an out, I hate to say it, you're a bit of an outlier. The majority of retirees, the majority, more than 50% of retirees, rely upon Social Security for the majority of their income. That's America. That's where we live. So if you're th sitting there thinking, so Social Security is going to be, if I get it, it's a luxury. I'm retired now and I can live without it because I've saved your million bucks or whatever the number is. You are is. in the minority. You are in the minority. So, because we've seen that as well. Yes. Anyway. But as my grandmother always said, it's just as easy to fall in love with a rich girl as it is a poor one, Patrick. And? <laughs> I didn't take the advice. <laughs> but uh, well, she's rich in other ways. Rich in love. Yeah. Rich in spirit. <laughs> and she's... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it. You have no regrets being young and oh broke my and all gosh. that. Yeah, was, none at all. None of at course all. Not. None at all. When we met each other, I mean, we bought... Um, for our second anniversary, we bought tires for the car. Tired. Second anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most, of, most, of, most people start life young and broke. For the for the pony. And you're thinking, the pony? What's a pony? The pony is a pinto, but with a trunk. That's what it is. You had a pony. I had a, a Volkswagen Rabbit Wolfsburg edition <laughs> <laughs> when I got married. <laughs> I paid seventy four hundred dollars for it. I bought it new when I was. You guys like the uh, animal theme with the car? <laughs> we were going with the that. rabbit, and I always wanted the cougar. The <laughs> cougar, <laughs> the car. All right, and we All better right. continue on because now it's getting. Uh... Let's go. All right, we're we're right now. We've got Brian James. Brian is a regional director with uh, Allworthy Certified Financial Planner. Uh, Brian, thanks for taking a little time to join us. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, dragging me on and your show again. I appreciate the time. Brian, our last caller was from Ohio, and you're in Ohio. So what do you know about that? I'll, I'll let me look around. Maybe she's still around here. I'll, t I'll take a look. <laughs> so uh, we wanted to kind of just touch bases with you and have a little bit of a conversation regarding Roth and Roth conversion. And just the whole taxation of retirement assets and the tax planning that, or lack thereof in – Retirement. And by the way, I think Roth and Roth conversions is one of probably one of the mis most misunderstood uh, parts of an IRA. 
how it Absolutely. works. Absolutely, and it, it keeps it. And frankly, it's job security for a financial advisor to help people understand how to use these tools to put their puzzle pieces together. So, yeah, and this is a this is a this it's a common question for people because most people just fixate on the tax free is good. Therefore, I must do whatever I can to get there, and they don't understand the sacrifice that needs to be made to get there. Now, Roth conversions are a fantastic idea, and they are very much a powerful tax planning tool in the long run. They are also a tax sacrificing tool in the short run. So most people just get get the idea that uh, I, could, I should take my, you know, I've got a half million dollars in a 401k. It's all pre-tax. I'll just convert that to a Roth and uh, go happy, go lucky through the rest of my life. Well, if, if you literally want to do that, what that means is in that tax year, you are taking a half million dollars of taxable income on top of whatever other income sources that you might have. So that can quickly and easily push you into, you know, a 30 percent bracket plus state. Whatever and you I think, Brian, I think what people uh, most people ignore because it's not in front of their face every day like it might be with people in our, in our business. But the tax brackets are highly progressive, right? So a married couple, I'm going to use a couple, you've got about $20,000 you don't have to pay any income taxes on because you've got a uh, standard deduction. But then for the next 10 grand, it's at 10%. Then it goes 12%, then 22%, then 24%, then 32%, then 35%, then 37%. In addition, you've got the uh, uh, Obamacare tax or tax of 3.8%. That's going to hit some pieces of the of the portfolio. Furthermore, you might have some tax deductions that were going to get phased out as your income goes up. So like the taxation is, it's, it's not just like I'm going to pay 22%. It's very complex. It ain't nothing is what you're trying to say there. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of layers to it. So, and that's what I said before. It's very much a Roth conversion is very much uh, sacrifice now for tax-free later. You're not choosing to avoid taxes. There's no such thing. You're choosing to change the timing to incur them earlier to take advantage of compounding and growth over time. So, and, and I would say for most people, a Roth conversion isn't going to help you at all in day one. It is quite literally a sacrifice. And you know, in the example I was giving before, it's a significant sacrifice. This isn't something where you should expect. You know, I'll, I'll convert a little bit. Maybe we'll pay five thousand bucks in extra taxes, and I'll have a little more on the Roth side. That helps, but it's not going to move the needle in terms of you know the real targets, which is usually I want to uh, lower tax impact of required minimum distribution, minimum distributions that will kick in at age 73 or 75, depending on when you get there. They change those rules all the time too. That's one of the most impactful things people don't think of. They simply think of this will be tax free and I'll, I won't have to worry about it again. What you're really doing is you are avoiding the uh, tax train that's going to come hit you head on at age 73. By by paying taxes now, you're not going to get forced into that level of ordinary income. And then that's that's one of the overlooked pieces. The other one uh, is that those dollars will then pass tax-free to your children. Anything that's in a Roth, they're not going to pay any income taxes, no capital gains either. If they inherit pre-tax, they're going to have to pay income taxes on some chunk of that every year for 10 years. So give you an example. If you, if you inherit a million dollars yeah, today, This is a bigger rule, issue now because the stretch IRA rules are gone. Exactly. Right? So if I could, if I inherit that million bucks, I got ten years. The easiest way to do it is just to assume that you're going to have a hundred thousand dollars of income every single year for ten years. A lot of us inherit those dollars when we ourselves are in our peak earning years. So there's a six-digit income on top of your six-digit income. So, so one of the questions that I ask my advice uh, clients when we're considering this is, tell me about the beneficiaries and their income and how many are there. Yeah. So if if in a situation like this, you would say, okay, well, it's a million dollars and they've got five kids and three of them actually um, make less than $50,000 a year and two of them make over $200,000 a year. How do we structure it in that way, right? So obviously doing a Roth conversion would not be beneficial to the one child, but it would to the other. Right? <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah, now you're hey, how come I got 53% of the IRA and you only got 47? Well, Dad did the or Mom did the calculation. One of the financial advisor gave me a spreadsheet 25 yeah, yeah, years yeah. ago that none of us remembers, but yeah. That's, uh, that's no, they're, they're, it's very important to take a look at those kinds of things because the, these are the these are the things that sneak up out of the middle of nowhere. And the other thing too is you, you might be triggering taxes on your kid after you're long gone, taxes on your kid and income on your kid that's going to raise their Medicare premiums because they now have these uh, these taxable income sources they have to deal with on top of whatever other income they've built over their lives. That's interesting. I didn't, yeah, well, I kept the Medicare premiums, yet another one that the higher your income goes. So, Brian, what, what, in your estimation, like how much, how much can tax planning make a difference? It can make a huge difference, Scott, because a lot of us wind up with a time period where we've got a window, right? So if I retire at age 65 and maybe I've sold a business or I've inherited some money and I've got assets that are not tax sheltered, not inside a 401k, not inside an IRA, just maybe cash in the bank, I can live off those assets for several years, just pay my bills out of that pile of money. I don't have any income, right? So I don't have a bracket. Those people also happen to always look for tax-free income, which makes no sense because they're in a, they're in no bracket. But that's a whole other uh, there's a whole other phone call. But you could use those years, use those years before you turn on your social security spigot and create taxable income. Use up those lower brackets, right? You can get close to four hundred thousand dollars in income, and you're only in the twenty-four percent bracket. Now that sounds high, but if you look at the numbers behind how much you could generate for yourself, well in the future, and your kids, then that twenty-four percent bracket now, which we know. Can, can be very helpful. So go ahead and, uh, in, in that case, pay those taxes now to convert that uh, pre-tax dollars uh, to Roth because you don't have any income anyway. It's the best opportunity to have it, and that's between generally retirement and whenever required minimum distributions kick in, uh, or 70 as well because that's in Social Security. Okay. And, and the only way to get to the answer is to, is model to run it. the numbers, is right? to model it, right? <laughs> Build the run models. You got to understand what you need. What does it cost you to keep your ship afloat? What are your All other resources things. for income? And what are what are your various types of saving the tax uh, tax ramifications of each of those piles of money? It's the, again job security for a financial advisor. There are 18 billion ways to slice the to slice the pie, but you got to understand the pros and cons of each one of them. That's why we all have jobs. Well, I think it's a little bit more than that, but okay. Well, why we have jobs. Thank sometimes you. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. <laughs> okay. okay. Hey, Brian, appreciate Brian, you appreciate taking some that. time. Thank to... you. Thanks for being yeah. part of the Allworth team. It's really, oh, it's, it's really important. It's. I tell you, I remember I had clients years ago. Um, they're this type of, like, oftentimes, and sometimes you get these callers in the program. They have a, quite a few dollars saved because they don't spend anything. Right. So um, this couple had I don't know, a couple million dollars in their retirement account. In late 60s, not spending a dime, not spending like and their taxable income was almost nothing. And I'd been talking to them about doing Roth conversions, but the, the idea of them writing a check to the government, they hated it. They came in one year in March with uh, two checks for an IRA contributions. I said, what's this for? The IRA contribution. I said, why are we doing this? Well, I went and we got our taxes done. And the accountant said that we will save X dollars if we contribute to the IRA today. Save X dollars today. Today. And I said, wait a minute. I said, in three years from now, we're going to have to do a required minimum distribution. Your required minimum distribution is going to be 60 grand, or whatever, whatever the number was. It's going to push you from a 12% bracket to a 22% bracket. So the money you give me today, you will save... 12% on taxes, but I'm going to turn around and give you these exact same dollars back in three years. And you're going to have to pay 22%. And you have no choice in the matter. It is a required minimum yes. distribution. And I was able to convince him to do a Roth conversion and not do the taxes. That was the Fine. right thing to do. Yes. Uh, we're going to another call here before we uh, wrap things up. We're in California talking with Tim. Tim, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Good day, gentlemen. So uh, uh, my question revolves, and it might be a little bit too specific, but uh, my wife uh, a number of years ago was diagnosed with a uh, condition in her eyes and uh, working towards it at the time. As a matter of fact, it was kind of a blow to us because we were told by the specialist, uh, you know, you will be blind and mm. handed the uh, literature for the, uh, you know, for the uh, Society for the Blind. Um Fortunately, you know, that hasn't become the case, but there has been a deterioration and all that. 
So I do all the planning and all that. And uh, what I'm trying to understand now is as she looks at uh, the possibility of going out on disability, um, a couple of questions. How I know obviously there's SSDI, um, but uh, is there a state type of uh, 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 SDI, if you will? Uh, and then how does it look as we transition towards the time frame where she'll be, she would have been eligible for, you know, original social security and her pension. She works for the state in okay. California. So let's, let's, let's deal with this. These are two separate issues. So we're going to keep them separate. So one is the pension oh. in the state of California and every pension is slightly different. So uh, yep. if other people are in a similar situation, you have to do the research on that. We, we understand that the state of California pensions pretty well. So let's address the pension first and then social security. So how many, if she were to retire today, not a, not a pension, not a disability, just flat out retire today, how much would her pension be? Uh, It would be around 2,400 a month, something along that line. And how old is she? She is 58. And how many years of service does she have? A little over 10. She's about 10 and a half years right now. Okay. So, uh, and this is different for every pension, but she, uh, as long as she has 10 years of service and is over, uh, it depends on whether you're 50 or 55, depending upon what pension system you're in in the state. Well, 55. She's, yeah. Uh, she's pension eligible. But in saying that, uh, so her, her disability benefit would be $2,400 a month. Yeah, it's it's actually when I looked at on the Social Security site for her disability, it's twenty five and change. No, 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 no. This is pension. This is pension. It's gonna come. It's gonna come. It can come to her. She's gonna apply for a disability pension. That's what she's gonna ask for is a disability pension. Okay. Right. So that would be that would be from the state. That's not anything to do with Social Security disability. That's correct. That's correct. Got it. That's correct. Got and, it. and and then you're going to have to make a couple of decisions like joint and survivor. Essentially, right. at this stage of the game, there it, it has to do with the taxation of the type of disability as to whether you take a regular pension or a disability pension. So it has to okay. do with the taxation of actually those dollars that are coming out. So that's the first thing. And then uh, Social Security disability is Social Security disability. It is what it is. And then it converts to normal. Uh, it converts to her regular Social Security at a normal retirement age. Um, so it's age in 65. addition? Oh, yeah. It's in addition. So, so it, it, uh, am I understanding correctly? She would get she would get the uh, uh, pension, uh, disability pension. That's right. And then in, in addition to that, she would also get Social Security disability. That's correct. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, that makes well, a difference. But okay. there's a Social Security offset on the pen, on the Social Security benefits. She's pension eligible anyway. Is right. she paying a Social Security now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, got it. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was assuming yeah. that she was paying into Social yeah, yeah. Security, Scott. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah because Absolutely. he actually told us what it said from the Social Security website. That's why okay. I, I pulled that number. That was a great point. Right. Nice catch, though, Scott. Um, um, yeah, so it is our understanding. You, you have to go and this is the disclaimer. Go and actually do this research yourself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, you'll get both those. Oh, excellent! Wow. Oh, okay. That's yeah. uh, quite a. Yeah, quite she's a paying into it. Yeah, and, yeah. and by yeah, the way, well. I got to tell you. So the way a lot of pension plans are constructed, including um, many state and federal pension plans, they really, really, really favor. Um, employees that start late in life yeah. working for them. She had 10 years and she's going to get 2,400 bucks a month yeah. pension. And she started when she was age t- uh, 20 and worked to 30. Nothing. It'd be almost Pennies. nothing. <laughs> like almost nothing. Got it. It Got just it. happened to be. In fact, I have told many, many clients, I'm like, if you retire late in life and or you get displaced by your job and you're in your 50s, you want to go catch one of these companies or municipalities or states that have these really rich pension plans. Got it. Got it. That is a huge advantage. I oh, didn't it's realize massive. It yep. yeah. it's massive. Yeah. It's massive. I mean, it's, it's you should, every taxpayer you run into in the state of California, you should thank them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will once we start it. But, but I've, I've been one of those for so long that I, you know, I, I've got a little bitterness on the other All right. end. So. Fair is fair. Fair is fair. All right. Do you have any other questions for us? No, I really appreciate it, gentlemen. Okay. Yeah, just start. Much. I'll tell you what. Start. Uh, you want to start with the Social Security disability first, um, and then okay. that would qualify her for the disability of the state of California, or, or do it concurrently. But 
Um, it sounds if she, if she if she's not able to perform a job function, then there you go. Yeah, we've already the, the retinal specialist. She likes what she does, and 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 we've made accommodations, done all that. But the retinal specialist is, has told us for the last two years that hey, any time that you're ready to go on permanent disability, just say so. He'll sign off all of that. My and guess so, is that this <clears throat> this will make up for a large portion, if not all, of the income that it, you're going to miss. Yeah, no, it, it, it sounds pretty darn close. Exactly, yeah. you know, because one of my close friends too. is um, blind, and he went blind. He wasn't. He, he, I forget the condition he had, but it was uh, at age twenty, early twenties. He was in the military, got discharged. He has a phenomenal life, and um, yeah. he says, like, sometimes he'll say he'll be at an airport, and someone will walk up and say, "I'm going to pray that God's going to heal you and restore your sight," and he'll say, "Don't pray for that." How about pray that God uses me in the condition I'm in to be uh, my unique condition I'm in to be a light to others and and um, so I know it's That's a scary awesome. I know and he's told I've he's told me about his journey many times and I know it's a very it's it's frightening and obviously not the kind of thing you'd want to be facing but um, oh yeah they, they, they actually her main fear is about uh, knowing that actuators everything else that i'll end up being the one passed away first and uh you know then then you know where she yeah. we don't have any kids yeah. that kind of thing okay, so no. that's that's her you know but uh i think i've got her pretty well set up yeah. so uh, <laughs> fantastic yeah. thank right. you gentlemen right, appreciate well. the appreciate call it. tim thanks tim thanks. Bye-bye. bye-bye scott so people will come up to your friend who's flying unannounced wrong. and will pray over them they think they're some messenger or something i don't know but yes Uh, you've encountered people. Like oh, that, I've been right? with priests in airport where people that have come up to my friend who's a priest. Well, that's a little different. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're asking for advertising. Yeah, yeah, I guess they are wearing the wear a collar. Yeah. <laughs> He's got advertising. Yeah, a little different. Yeah, I find that presumptuous. No, my so my buddy's a runner. I've ran with him, guided him a number of times, um, and he's he's created this network across the country of getting. Uh, blind people to be- become runners and having uh, trained um, guides for the yeah and you've you where you you've got a tether or something that uh-huh. yeah but it's um the, the work the work that he does now in no way we would have done if it was oh well career. yes well that's all the time we have in today's program hey if you haven't given us a review we appreciate uh, wherever you listen to your podcast um, go and give us a review and something kind you want to say you can say something kind on there and if there's something unkind i guess you've got the prerogative as well anyway this has been scott hansen and pat mclean of allworth's money matters this program has been brought to you by allworth financial a registered investment advisory firm any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice you should consult your own financial advisor tax consultant or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence